finishing up a message series entitled Letter to the Corinthians. Uh, if you're with me on 10 with Tim every day, then you know exactly where we are. I'm going just verse by verse. If you're just joining me on Sundays and you're only catching these high points and it may seem a little less connected, but we're going straight through what Paul says. This morning is really important and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to preach this message this morning. Um, talk about death. I, I know that you're thinking, well, I, you know, thanks for that, Pastor T. You know, I, I, you know, I put on a mask for this. Um, it's just important. It's so important. I preach a lot of sermons on death, but it's usually funerals, you know, which means you kind of got to die to hear it. It's, it's that sort of thing. So m- most of you probably never really hear us talk about death. Easter, we talk about resurrection, but we don't do this enough in, in this sermon. Uh, I'm... I'm Delight's not the word, but I feel very strongly that this is the word for us today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be. In my preparation for ministry, I had the opportunity to serve for a, for a while as a student chaplain at Baptist Hospital East in Louisville. I was on the cancer floor uh, for some time. I, I remember my very first day. I'll never forget my very first day on the cancer floor. I walked through the double doors onto that ward, and I could hear her crying. Her name was Ms. Davis. I could hear her cry. And and I thought it was so strange uh, just to hear a person cry like that. Um, As it turns out, Ms. Davis cried day and night. There was no place on that whole hospital wing, there was no place to get away from her crying. You, You could not not hear her cry. I found out Ms. Davis had a, a very advanced and bizarre kind of skin cancer, and it affected every inch of her body by the time I met her. And uh, she cried for pain, but not so much pain, she itched, she itched. Every single inch of her body itched, and she would scratch and cry. The nurses would soak cotton gloves in lotion and then tape them on her hands so that when she scratched, she wouldn't literally pull flesh from her bones. It never, ever stopped, except when she got chemo. And on the days when she got chemo, they would paint her with this yellow chemical. It was her chemotherapy. And then peel and her skin would be pink, and she would uh, have relief, and she would s- sleep like a baby until it just all started coming back, and it would come back. And When I arrived as the new chaplain, the nurses told me instantly that Mr. and Mrs. Davis are believers. They'll really appreciate your visits. And so I, I, I did look forward to the opportunity to just be a pastor to them and comfort them. I knew they were believers. I was told they were believers, but... You know, when I stepped in that room the first time, I, I realized Ms. Davis can't carry on a conversation. She, she just can't. And her husband didn't really want to talk to me. And I thought it was strange. He's a man of faith and a good man, but he just did not want to talk to a pastor. So this went on for, for days, uh, maybe my first couple of weeks. And slowly he started opening up to me. And I, I knew he belonged to a church. So one day I said, Mr. Davis... I, it doesn't seem like your pastor has ever visited or your church family. Can, can I call them and let them know you're here? He said, no. No. 
I, I don't want them to know that we're here. I thought that was strange, but later Mr. Davis told me more of the story. Mr. Davis said the last time that he and his wife were at church, everybody laid hands on his wife and prayed for a miracle. And he said that he stood up in church that night and said, in Jesus' name, she ain't going to die. She ain't going to die. That's exactly how he said he said it. She, she ain't going to die. In Jesus' name, she ain't going to die. And now at the hospital at death's door, he didn't want to call the church. I don't know if he felt like it was, it was they would think that his faith was weak. That somehow if he'd had more faith, that she would not be dying? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. All I know is at the moment when that Christian man and woman needed their church family, needed the body of Christ more than any other moment in their whole life, the church wasn't there. I walked up on the floor one day and it was quiet. And I knew she had died and Mr. Davis went home. After 24 years of ministry, I've come to the realization that that's not as rare as you think it might be. I've come to the realization that there are lots and lots, actually, lots and lots of good godly people who die absolutely alone. And you and I would think, well, how can that be? You know? And sometimes when you know, there's a death, you know, I'll, you'll actually hear church people say, well, I don't know how anybody would go through this without the church. Well, can I just tell you the really harsh truth? Lots of people go through it without a church, including church people. Because let's just be honest, I'm not sure this is something that we do very well. We don't really talk about death very much. We're not really comfortable talking about death. I mean, we'll have a prayer list and we'll pray for you. We'll pray for every hemorrhoid, you know, and, and you know, we pray for everything when, when you're sick. But, but for the most part, we outsource the awkward parts. So if you're sick, we outsource that to the doctors. You know, we'll send you to the doctors, and God bless doctors and nurses and all of those who are able to use their gifts to bring healing. I mean, God bless them. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just saying that as a body of Christ, I think we have a role to play, but, but we are forsaking that role for the most part. We send it to the doctor, let us know when you hear any more news. And then we wait for news like that. And then we pray. We pray for miracles. We, we pray. But then when it's clear that you're at death's door, it gets awkward. We still want to pray for a miracle, but we don't really know how to walk beside you when it looks like the miracle's not forthcoming. It gets harder. It gets awkward. We stop calling because we just don't know what to say anymore. We still pray for you. Your name will be on the prayer list until the day after I preach your funeral. Then I will tearfully take your name off our prayer list. But we don't always know what to do. We don't always know what to say. We, we outsource it to the medical professionals until that part is through. And then we'll outsource it to the funeral home. We'll let other people take care of that part too. And then, you know... When you're gone, we may show up with a casserole for your family. 
But for the most part, we who are the people of God, the family of God, we who have the message of eternal life, we who have hope as an anchor for our souls, we who worship Jesus, the Lord of the living and the dead, it's so strange how in that moment when we really need to be able to proclaim that message, we go mute. So I want to call you back to the message of eternal life. I want to call you back to what it means to live and to die in Christ and what it means to be the body of Christ even as we live and bury one another. We don't bury one another as people who have no hope. So come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The entire chapter, the entire chapter is about death and resurrection and this is the chapter you need. If you have questions about what happens after you die, questions about the bodily resurrection, questions about death and dying, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where you want to go. It's where we are this morning. I'm going to concentrate on verses 12 to 26. Verses 12 to 26. Let's talk about what this means. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is, say the word, death. The last enemy is death. Let's talk about your enemy, death. The thing is, the, the first probably couple of decades of your life, you probably don't have to think about it at all. You just don't. You're young. And youth is wonderful. It is wonderful. Cameron, you have no idea how wonderful youth is. You get up every morning and you can't wait to look in the mirror because you get better looking every single day. Every day. Isn't that right, David? You can't wait to look in the mirror, man. Every day, more awesome. When you're young, you just keep getting better looking. You keep getting stronger. You keep getting better at your job. I mean, everything just continues to get better and better and better. 
And so for the first 20 years, maybe, I don't know, 25 years, I don't know, Adam, you don't even have to think about this stuff. It just keeps getting better. Until the day it stops getting better. You don't even think about the fact that you're getting closer to death's door. You don't think about that at all until one day that you just sort of have to think about it. Now, I don't know when that day was for you. I don't know when it will be. It may be one Friday night after midnight when you eat an entire plate of Nashville hot chicken. And you'll realize, I can't do that anymore. I can't. I can't. It may be the day you're listening to an oldie station on Pandora, and they start playing songs that you liked in high school. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. It may be the day that you are playing, you know, shortstop on a Saturday with your buddies, and all of a sudden, you know, you realize you can't do that like you used to do that, and it just sort of happens like this. You you look in the mirror and you see this weird little pudge of fat right here. And it's just the weirdest thing. Wrinkles, gray hair. I'm just saying there is a period in your life when you don't have to think about it at all until one day inevitably you, you do. Death comes for every single one of us. Every single one of us. You're going to be at death's door or else you know, death is going to come to your door. But make no mistake, none of us get out of this alive. Now, let's just define it. If you want a sort of a medical definition, I, I would say this. Death is the irreversible cessation of bodily functions. See, when I say it that way, it doesn't sound that bad. Until you start thinking about words like irreversible. Cessation. Y'all know what cessation is? That's like it all just sort of shuts off, you know. Irreversible. That's the part that you don't really believe for a long, long time. The irreversible part of death. Because as I say, when you're young, you start feeling like it actually can be reversed. You go to physical therapy and, and, and it comes back, you know? It, you, you, you've reversed it. You go to the plastic surgeon and get a little bit of work done. And you've, you feel like you've reversed it. You've pushed it back a little bit. You, you beat cancer the first time and you feel invincible. You feel like, yes, yes, I've somehow turned it all back. I, I, I've reversed it. But inevitably, sooner or later, we all recognize that death is irreversible. Some of my most awkward moments in church are with kids, and, and you know, sometimes I'll say, anybody got any prayer requests? And have a kid will say, pray for my dog. I'll say, you know, what's going on with your dog? And she'll say, my dog's dead. Well, we all know, like, well, you know, sweet, ain't nothing to pray, you know. Dog's dead. I mean, that's irreversible. But you know what I mean? When Kids don't understand that. Yo, way back in the day, uh, let Papa, y'all are way too young to remember. There used to be a princess named Diana, Princess Di. And Princess Di like, was in a car accident. You remember that? And, and she was killed. We had a little girl in our church at the time who just saw that on the news and was just broken over that. So like every Sunday she would say, pray for Princess Diana. And we'd all kind of, you know, it's awkward, you know, because, you know, we saw her funeral on television. But still, this girl was like, pray for, like she did that for weeks and weeks Pray for Princess Diana. Like every Sunday, we had to stop and pray for Princess Diana. And then one day, one of our church ladies stopped me at the door and said, Brother Tim, would you please tell that little girl that Princess Diana is dead? 
I said, no, you want to? I mean, <laughs> telling her. Now that little girl's an adult now. She could be walking around still thinking Princess Diana's alive. But something tells me she figured it out. We all figure this out. Death is the irreversible <laughs> cessation of bodily functions, bodily functions. Uh, I'm 55, which means I'm old enough to tell you that all your favorite body functions go first. In some horrible, you know, humor of the universe, all your favorite body functions will go first. And then they just start, you know, I don't know if for you they're just going to like flip out like a light or if it's going to be like this just inglorious fizzle. But make no mistake, this is what happens. This is what death is. Death is the irreversible. Dead things don't come back. The irreversible cessation of bodily functions. But this is the medical definition. We're the people of God, and we know something more. And you need to know something more. Death is not just physical. It's not just physical. This is the part that the doctors can't help you with. It's not just physical physical. It's spiritual. We know this from Scripture. We know this from the, from the very first Bible story of Adam and Eve, how Adam and Eve, they sinned, and with sin came death. But now, if you were a kid in Sunday school like me, I mean, your first question is, well, but they ate the fruit and they didn't die. You know, like, I thought, like, you eat the fruit and then, you know, I just wanted Adam and Eve to, you know, like, fall over. dead. That's what I expected the story to end that way because it said, eat the fruit and die. But this is where Scripture reveals to us that death is more than just physical, it's spiritual. Death is not just the decomposition of your body. It is the decomposition of your spirit, the decomposition of your soul. And so there is spiritual death. And make no mistake, Adam and Eve, they died spiritually that day. Now, their bodies kept walking around, but you've got to understand, death was at work in their bodies from that day on, and their spirits, their spirits were dead. Sin brings death. So what you need to understand is that if you haven't experienced the salvation that comes from Jesus, if you haven't received the gift of life that he brings to you, then understand there is still, to this moment, a part of you that is absolutely already dead. Spiritually, until you know Jesus, you are already dead. Already dead. And, and what you have to add to that is the horrible news that when you add spiritual death to physical death, that is literal and ultimate damnation. That's the worst news possible. Spiritual death added to physical death means absolute condemnation. But there's good news. There's good news. For all of us who stand at death's door or for whom death is getting closer and closer, there is good news. We are the people of God. And Paul is trying to pour out the good news to the Corinthians, trying to make them understand what this means. Because you have to understand what the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus means to you. It means something to you. It means everything to you. So, so let's talk about it. I never do this, but I have eight things. I'm not going to be here all day. I'm going to preach you to death. Eight things. I never say, like, I've got eight things on prayer because I don't usually look at my notes. And so if I say i got eight things, I won't remember but six. 
So I never, ever promise you eight things, but I got, I got notes right here. Eight things. I want you to write them down. I want you to understand these things because when you really, really need to know these things, it's really hard to listen. In the moment when these are the truths that your heart really, really needs, if you haven't already hidden these things in your heart, it's very, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's a lot harder if you wait till you get to death's door to start preparing for this thing. So let's walk through this together. Eight things. It says the gospel. This is how Jesus shows us how to live and die. And it's actually really, really good. Let's start here. Number one, for the last three years of his life, Jesus knew that he would die and also how he would die. Now, that's not probably news, news to you, but do you understand what this means? Have any of you ever received a terminal diagnosis? Like, I know that some of you, in the sound of my voice right now, you know what it is to hear, you know, you're getting closer to the end. You have so many days, so many years. What you need to understand is that's how Jesus lived the last three years of his life. He knew that he would die. He also knew how he would die. And so for that reason, when you are told that you're going to die... You really need some lessons in how to live with that knowledge. And I'm telling you, look at Jesus. Jesus shows you how to live in the remaining time that you have left. Because Jesus knew that he would die. He knew how he would die. So how did Jesus live? What did he do? Did he make a bucket list and then like sell the house and move to the Caribbean? Because I'm thinking that's what I would do. I mean, you know, it's like I've only got so much time left. Not going to take these brand, you know, brand wafers every morning for breakfast. And you know, who needs brand now? I mean, you know, I'm dying. I don't have any time left. You know, so maybe I don't have to be nice to people anymore. You know, after all, I'm dying. Maybe I don't have to pay my bills. Let somebody else worry about it. I'm going to be gone. I mean, you know, there's just this radical kind of everything sort of comes unhinged when you realize that your your days are numbered. But actually, the book of Psalms says in a prayer, Oh, Lord, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a wise heart. There's wisdom that comes in knowing that your days are numbered. There's wisdom that comes. You will begin to know things that you wouldn't even know if you weren't in this situation. Learn these things from Jesus. Jesus knew that he had three years left, and what did he do? He focused single-mindedly on his purpose. He did have a bucket list, actually. Do you know what was on his bucket list? Saving you. Saving you. That's it. Saving you. And he fulfilled his purpose. And he died. Do you understand? For the last three years, he knew. I don't, is it just me? I just think this is really fascinating and really enlightening. Just to realize that this is how Jesus spent the last three years of his life. In the shadow of the cross. At death's door. But actually, that's when he really began to do his work. That's when he really began to live. That's when he really began to point to the message of salvation that, that God had sent him to bring. Do you understand? Last three years of his life, Jesus knew that he would die, most likely how he would die. Let's keep going. Number two. During his ministry, Jesus shows us that dying is not the biggest problem we have. 
Now, so Pastor Tim, why would you say that? Well, I just think sometimes when I read the Bible, like there's that story in the Gospel of John where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda where all the sick people lay all the time. And there's a great story where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and heals one guy. He heals one guy. Did I mention that all the sick people are laying there? He healed one man, walked away. Jesus had the power to raise the dead. He didn't do that very often. Man, if I had that power, I'd be wearing it out. You know, we'd be having this service at the Woodburn Cemetery just so I could go, hey! Jesus had all power to heal all the sick. He healed the sick. He didn't heal all the sick. Had the power to raise the dead. He didn't raise very many. So obviously during his ministry, Jesus shows us that dying is not the biggest problem we have. If it were... He would have healed all the sick. He would have raised all of the dead. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He he came to seek and save the lost. You understand? He came for our salvation. I mentioned to you that your physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you die physically while being dead spiritually. That's the worst thing that can happen to you, that you die in your sins Jesus came for your salvation. He came to give you spiritual life because let me tell you something. If you got spiritual life, physical death don't mean nothing. It's spiritual life. It's salvation that we need. And that's what Jesus came to bring us. So so let's just remember. Let's just remember when we come before the Lord and we have our long prayer list of sick people. And sometimes we wonder why, why sometimes people get miracles and then sometimes they don't. That's how it was in Jesus' own day, in Jesus' own ministry. Sometimes he healed miraculously, sometimes he did not. And we don't always know what Jesus will do. We don't ever doubt what he can do. But we don't always know what he will do because understand, my physical death is not the biggest problem. And if I fall over dead in the middle of this sermon, y'all, it's, it's not going to be the worst day of my life, I promise you. I'll have supper in heaven. You with me? Physical death is, is not the worst thing. It's absolutely what we see in Jesus' ministry. Now this, Jesus was God's son, fully divine. He was God in the flesh, but he was also fully human. So understand, Jesus wasn't eager to die. I mean, yeah, he knew he was going to a better place. He, he'd already been there. I mean, he's the one person who could tell you all about glory because he'd already been in glory. But, but even having known what it was to dwell in eternity with the Father, when it came time for Jesus standing at death's door, Garden of Gethsemane, it says he wept, you know, sweat drops of blood. He wasn't eager to die. And when he did die, he suffered a full range of human anguish. Jesus went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He wept. He cried. You understand? There's a humanity here that you and I can't lose. I say that if I die in the middle of this sermon, it won't be the worst day of my life. Well, that doesn't mean I want that to happen. I mean, mean, you know, I'm not saying I'm eager, not afraid of it. And if it happens, y'all celebrate, but I'm just telling you, I love this world. I love this life. I love my wife. I'm not finished with any of it. I'm not finished being y'all's pastor. I mean, you know, and this is Jesus, not eager to die. When he did die, he wept. 
begged God, God, if there's any way this could pass from me. I mean, you know, he was human, and I find something comforting about that. Go on. In resurrecting, Jesus destroys death. Death is dead. Now, this is what Paul says. It's just the most amazing thing. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Jesus dies, and in dying, he turns death inside out. He, he turns it inside out so that now death isn't really death for believers. It's life. It's, it's eternal life. Death is dead. For us, that last enemy has already been, been destroyed by Jesus himself. So death for us is now dead. It, it, it's not something to fear. It's not even so much our last enemy anymore because that enemy has already been defeated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus dies, and in dying, he conquers death. Jesus was raised from the dead. No, when I say raised from the dead, I mean he was raised from the dead. I'm not just saying he lives on in all of our hearts. Well, we talk about his living. His Holy Spirit is in our hearts, but I'm telling you, it's not just in our hearts. He lives. He came out of the tomb bodily, not a ghost, not just living on in the memory of the church. You know, I, I've been to actual Christian funerals where the pastor will say that kind of, you know, kind of, I'm not saying it's garbage, but my goodness, really? You, your husband will continue to live in your heart. Was that all we got to look forward to? I'm going to live in Casey's heart? Because she's going to take one swig of my lanta, you know, and wash whatever was in her heart. You know, I mean, I mean, is that all I got? Like, Pastor Tim, you'll always live in our memories. No, I won't. You people can't even remember what time church starts on Sunday night. I mean, y'all don't... Y'all don't even remember where you parked your cars out in the parking lot. You don't remember what door you came in. So don't tell me, you know, don't worry, Pastor Tim, you'll, you'll be, you know, in all of our heart. No, I'll die. Y'all will get another pastor. Casey, get another husband. I hope he's ugly. I hope he's so ugly. <laughs> but it's, this is not the gospel that you're just going to live in people's hearts and memories, you know. No, no, no. It's bodily. Jesus came back bodily. In a body that they could touch, that they could embrace. He ate. You understand what I'm saying? Not just a spirit, not just living in people's memories. And that's not our hope either. I want y'all to remember me. I hope Casey, or I hope I'm living in her heart or something. But understand, I'm going to go live with Jesus. I have a resurrection, and that is my hope. In resurrecting, Jesus destroys death. Death is dead. Now, here's the cool thing. The resurrection's already started. It's already started. I mean, it's the language that Paul uses here. It's, it's really, really, actually uh, amazing. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. You get that? The resurrection has begun. It's already started. Verse 23, but there's an order to this resurrection. The word Paul uses there is it's like a military term. There's a military order. So if Jesus is going into combat against the last enemy of death, there's a, a, a wave to the attacks. Understand. So what does it say? Verse 23. 
First, Christ was raised as the first fruit of the harvest. Now, what's first fruit? How many of you ever raised a garden? Hands up. Raised a garden? Yeah. You plant your garden, you're so excited. And so you go out in whatever, mid-March, and you see the first little squash plants coming up, right? And then once you get a squash plant, you're going to go out in 20 minutes, and there's going to be like a flower on it. And then like the next day, you'll have your first itty-bitty squash. It's your first squash, and you're thinking, yes, yes, because you know when you have one squash, what are you going to have next? A million squash. Like at first, you're so excited. Like you pick those itty-bitty squash, and you cut them up and fry them for your supper. You think, oh, that's so good. I miss squash so much. And then like fast forward three weeks, you have squash coming out your ears. Like early on, you know, you were so happy to get them. Eventually, you're just putting them like in, in, in Walmart sacks and leaving them on people's porches and driving off. Like you have squash everywhere. And this is what we're seeing. Jesus is like that very first squash. He's, he's the first, first of a giant harvest. And what's the harvest? Resurrection. You and me coming out of the ground. Do you understand? It's the harvest of resurrection, the harvest of everlasting life. Jesus is the first, and it's already started. So Christ is the first. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Now, Paul, so you know how a telescope will sort of push in? Paul kind of telescopes things right there that we know that he says elsewhere. For example, Paul says, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's not so much like I'm going to die and then just like lay there in the grave until Jesus comes back and, and all the graves are opened, which is going to happen. But understand, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. I would be present with the Lord. But the point is, we're all going to get our spiritual bodies. We're going to get our new bodies for heaven at the very same time when Jesus comes back. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy he destroyed is death. Death. So keep going with me. I'm almost done. Salvation comes by dying in Christ. This is the gospel. Salvation comes by dying in Christ. I recognize that he has died for my sins. And so therefore, by my faith, by, by my acceptance of his gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness, his death is in my place. His spiritual death, death for sins, is in my place. So now salvation comes by my dying with him. And the promise of rising with him is a basis for my new life. It's a very different now way of being in the world. For the most part, you can just say, I've died. I've died. I died with Christ. I died to my life of sin. I'm dead to this world because I know this world is not my home. I love this world. I love my house. I love the woods that we live in. I love my, my dog is the dumbest dog in the world, and I kiss her on the mouth. I love my dog so much. I love pizza. I just love touching toes with my wife in bed. I mean, I love everything about this life, but at the same time, I know full well this world is not my home. And for all of the blessings of this life, I know, I know, 
I know that this world is living in a garbage can compared to what is waiting for us in glory, actual glory. Understand? Salvation goes by dying in Christ. The promise of rising with him is the basis for your whole life. Now, a couple of things now. Your purpose is not to live your own life. Remember, you died to that. You died to that. So it's not about you living your life. It's not about you, you know, fulfilling your bucket list. You always wanted to see the Grand Canyon. It's not about the Grand Canyon. I promise you can see it from heaven. Your purpose is not to live your life. You've already died in Christ. Your purpose is to live out the life given you in Christ, which will include your physical death. Is that a surprise? Your life in Christ, which which you are called to live, until the very moment you take your last breath, you live out your life in Christ. It's not this life. It's not your old life. It's life in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what Paul says. Man, I'm dead. I'm already dead. So when this body takes its last breath, understand, I, I'm, a, I'm already alive in Christ. It just continues on in his presence. Your life in Christ includes your physical death. Unless we're all still alive when Jesus comes, and that would be awesome. One by one, we're going to bury each other, and I don't know in what order. None of us knows in what order. But I do know this is part of it. Your physical death is is part of it. We can put you on the prayer list and we can pray, but at some point, we're going to gather for your funeral. Physical death is part of it, you all. So a couple more things. I'm almost done. Death is not a test of your faith. It won't be a test of your faith. It's an opportunity to live your faith and to allow it to carry you all the way into the life to come. See, this is the problem when we abandon the saints who are at death's door. Most of you have never seen this sort of thing. You've never seen a Christian die. You have no idea. I mean, I mean John balances Mama Evelyn when she died. It was glorious. She said that she saw fruit trees hanging heavy with fruit. And then she looked at her family and said, and all of you are coming with me. When Lloyd Gregory was at death's door, Lloyd said to me, he said, death for me will be like this. And he started doing something with his fingers and I didn't know what he was doing. I'd say, Lloyd, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, death for me will be like this. And he was doing something with his fingers. I said, Lloyd, I don't understand Tell me what you're trying to tell me. And then he got it. He said, death for me will be like this. And he went, Understand, it's just a a point along the way, you know. Death for me will be like this. It's an opportunity to live your faith and to allow it to carry you all the way into the life to come. It's, It's not a test of your faith. It's an opportunity to live it all the way into the next life. There's a great old preacher by the name of Peter Marshall. 
who tells a story that's just beautiful. Um, it's about a little boy who was dying. And that's the hardest. <laughs> you know, children are hard. The little boy was dying, and for the most part, um, the family was coping well with that, keeping him comfortable. Everything was peaceful. Till one night he said, Mama, what will it be like to die? And the mother just inside crumbled because she knew that question was coming. And she'd always prayed, you know, Lord, I don't know how to prepare my son for this. I don't know how to talk to him about this. Lord, help me. Just give me words when I need the words. And in that moment, she said she knew the Lord gave her words. The little boy said, Mama, what's it going to be like to die? She said, Son, remember all those days when you would play and play and play and you would ride your bike and you would play with the dog and you would climb in the barn and you would come in at night and we would eat supper and take a bath and you would fall asleep on the couch in the living room. And then the next morning you would wake up in your own bed. How did you get there? Well, as you lay there on the couch and your eyes got so heavy and you fell asleep, after you were asleep, your daddy, with his big, strong arms, he picked you up and he took you from the place that really wasn't yours. He carried you into your room so that you could wake up in your bed in the place where you belong. For the believer, death's like that. Your eyes will get heavy, tired maybe, fall asleep, you wake up in the place where you belong. So this whole day, I've been calling it death's door. I, I've misspoken. For you and me, it's not death's door. It is the door of resurrection. And when you get there, when you stand at that door, you will walk through and you will live. Forever. Pray with me. Lord, teach us how to be faithful in our lives and in our deaths. Lord, we think so much in our lives about being a good witness, showing other people how Christians live. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace in the days and weeks and months and years to come to show this old world how Christians die. Teach us, Lord, that death itself is not the end, that death itself is dead. Teach us, Lord, about the promise of everlasting life, which is the very, very center of the gospel. Teach us, Lord, what it means to die with Christ, to die to this world, to die to ourselves, to die to sin, so that we can live in Christ in this world, and in the world to come. Bless all those, dear Jesus, for whom this sermon has been a very, very hard word. 
Bless those who feel that they're standing nearer to death's door than the rest of us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as the people of God, we will not let them for a single moment feel that they are without fellowship, without friends, without support, without a message of hope. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us how to preach the gospel to one another. And especially, Lord, in those dark days when we desperately need to hear it ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for life, for the breath in our lungs, for the strength in our bones, for every blessed day that we shall live on this earth. Thank you more, Lord Jesus, for the promise of eternal life in heaven with all those whom we love in Christ and with you, O Jesus, Lord of living and the dead. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.